Welcome everyone to this episode of the podcast. This is going to be a throwback episode in a, in a way. Not really, but yes it is. In that when I first started the podcast, I did a lot of Road to High Five episodes of High Five staff. And there are other staff here now that weren't there, weren't here when I did those. And one of those is Hannah B. Ailey. I think that's the first time anyone has said my name like that. I really appreciate it. Hannah B. Ailey. Um, Hannah Bailey is one of the training team. And so I'm sitting with Hannah here and we're going to do a Road to High Five episode. So the first thing, the first question I asked everyone is the question I'm going to ask you. And that is, how did you even end up a high five? I just went for a really long walk one day and stumbled upon... Um, just some people playing you up burst in the out air. Of the woods and you were <laughs> just, you were ragged. It was yeah. leaves and brush in your hair. It was a tough couple of days. And then <laughs> just saw some people playing in the woods, and I was like, they look great. Yep. And and they just said, "Can I work here, please?" Yeah. And they were like, "Oh, thank goodness! Yes, we need extra yes, bodies. We need, we need you." <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's how it happened. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I worked for Kiev Wavis at the leadership school and then also at the Wavis Camp for Girls, the affiliated women's camp. So I was there for two years and then met Sam Copeland, who is on the Edge of Leadership team here. Yeah, during the winter time when we didn't have programming for the leadership school I worked for, the Killington Mountain School. There's a transition period from the Kiev stuff to the ending up at High Five. What was that for you? I was really lucky. Rob Riley, one of my supervisors at the leadership school at Kiev Wavis, he's just a wonderful mentor and and really invested a lot of time and energy into, I guess, developing my skills because he saw that I had interest in the challenge course world and experiential education. So through... KW, they sponsored me to come and do some workshops here at High Five. And Sam and I just fell in love with all aspects of it. The people, the type of training, just High Five's approach to just education in general. And that really stuck with us. And then I was able to do a Beyond Basics level two. I think I realized how much I didn't know. And I had so much more to learn and to grow. But even with like transitioning to work at the Killington Mountain School full time, um, I really wanted to keep up my skills. And so I came back and did some more training as well because that's it just felt important to me. And I felt like eventually I was going to want to pursue this world in, in some capacity. One of the people that was in a level two training that I was a participant in, it might have just been right before I got hired here, was Cam Miller, who you know from Kiev. So it's like those kind of connections with different people, I think are equally as as important as sometimes the skill acquisition. And I think sometimes that's forgotten about. No, that's totally true for me too. It was the people drawing me in. Um, just how comfortable folks made me feel here um, or just in this world in general. That's definitely was the key. Yeah. Based on some of that stuff, what advice would you give to an upcoming person? I still get the uh, the emails and the 
the messages from folks saying like, how do I do more of this? Like what other advice? We actually just both emailed someone who was emailing us about this kind of thing. What, what advice would we, would you give? You know, I've given lots, but like what advice would you give? Well, I was talking to a good friend that I met um, working at Wavis, uh, Jen, and we were talking about this last night, actually, just figuring out what, when do we know um, what to choose next or what to do next? And she said, just choose the next right thing. Um, and it's just based on feeling. And I really appreciated that. And that's kind of what I've, I've done. And I, what I hope for others to do too is if you have the privilege and opportunity to have options, then do, do the thing that feels right. Going on a, a slightly different path, and I know that we've had conversations about this, like there's a, there's a point as well during being a trainer that we've, we never really stopped learning, like the continuous learning as we, as we teach. What's the most recent thing that you've learned in a training that you think is like stood out like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this differently or I'm going to keep doing this. Like what was the last thing you learned? Okay. There's two good lessons that came to mind. One was really making sure every, every training I go into now I make sure I read their inspection report, like pretty, like I go into detail now because once I showed up at a site, I realized they didn't have an extra large harness and because most of the time, I mean, the folks that are using their harnesses are like young, young kids. So it just didn't cross their mind to order a large, extra large harness. So, but when I was doing a training, there was need for one. And so I figured out a way um, to make it work for that person. But it was just like, it was the worst feeling. And so now I always make sure I have an extra large harness wherever I go. <laughs> so that... That was, that was tough, but we made it work. Recently, at an open enrollment training, I skipped doing the norms. So creating like an us, not us list. Whether it was at the beginning or, or towards the middle or the end, I realized maybe I do want to focus on doing an us, not us list or just talking about norms during a training in general. This one particularly, like there was just, a whole spectrum of of skill and experience, uh, which was great for many reasons, but it did interfere at times when people would maybe interject and add like very valuable information, but some folks just weren't quite ready for it yet. And we had talked about this, um, but it wasn't stated like um, in a, in a norms that we could then go back to and check in on like, hey, are we sticking to what we decided as a group um, to make sure we're uh, keeping each other in check. So that's something I want to make sure I at least attempt to do, even though the folks are completely new to each other. In that case, that would have been helpful. I, I brought up this, this is a previous episode about being like more vulnerable. Is there a moment where you've made a mistake that you think is a valuable lesson for other people? Yeah, so many. Oh my goodness. And at the end of this, Hannah lost her job. This is a trick. Hmm. Wow. From little nuanced things to, oof, wow, how did I not see that? When I was doing contract facilitation work for High Five, we were working with a program, um, like in a, a historical program here at High Five. There was a moment where I was like, you know what? I'm going to facilitate this 
low element like I saw Ryan McCormick do. Like, it was very fluid, just open, not a lot of, I guess, rules outlining the basic standards um, and spotting considerations. And it was, I guess, not not entirely the way I usually run <laughs> a low element, but I was like, okay, I'll play around with this. The participant was going across the Pirates Crossing piece of our Mohawk Ironworkers Walk, and that can be pretty tricky. It's this low cabled element, but there's two ropes crisscrossing, and so they meet lower in the middle. And so um, this participant was going across, and at the center, whether the spotter... <laughs> Um, was just surprised or stepped just wasn't ready for it Uh, the participant like launched forward and scraped up her face her spotter like stepped to the side and I just felt like the worst person alive like this poor innocent human just scraped her face up when I could have maybe you know said we're all gonna have four spotters but and then another time you could have done that would have been fine. So it, it's it, there's that balance. But I, I think that probably I can think of a, the lesson I draw from that is the authenticity of your own style. Like I have done so many times copied someone and it like been a massive flop. And the other one that always jumps into my mind when I was kind of overseeing the course at, at Wavis, I helped do internal training for camp staff. And so they're mostly belaying young campers. But then on Parents' Day, there's a whole new dynamic that I just didn't think about. Like, we really didn't have to, I mean, we did go over the concept of what happens when you're belaying someone who's quite heavier than you. But this was like, you know, just times 10, you know, having parents come out on the course. And I just remember someone just being surprised by that as someone blaying uh, a larger dad. And I just felt like I didn't do my job or didn't do them a service by going over that at some point during the training. Um, That was just not something I anticipated as a new course manager there. Another good lesson there in terms of whatever you do regularly, like whatever the norm is, when the norm changes, do you have any plans for like the non-normal? Because I, I worked at a site that had similar, we really didn't staff it in a way that would allow us to be able to have secondary people or people backing up to a degree or anchoring where we needed to, those kind of things. It was often exactly that, like it's kids, so you know we're going to not need certain things. And then when there was family camp or something where adults came into play or a teacher decided they wanted to climb, that's where you'd see suddenly your staff getting lifted into the air and you're like, yeah, and it just affects the whole thing. So whether or not anyone got hurt, like the visual of someone getting lifted is just enough to jar a program. So you're like, yeah, this is why we have these steps. This is why for me, I will still have a anchor even if I'm belaying kids because just I, I like the habit of doing like, I'm going to always do that, the same thing. I'm always going to lean towards like, what is the worst case scenario less than prepping for and just being like oh I have to change it on the fly and it's tough because you don't know those what those variables are until one that happens or you get enough training and you can anticipate those things and that's what I appreciated the most about being able to go to training one but then also like seeing it in action and coming back and refreshing and learning more I think that was the biggest eye-opener for me was realizing how much I don't know 
that was really important for me. This is something I've I've been thinking. I wonder if you have share uh, the same opinion. I think that the amount of content that a new, if you're coming in new, I think sometimes this is the problem with you know we get this with clients who say, well, if we say they say they want one day of ballet training, I'm like, yeah, there's no way we can do it. But and they're like, why? They're shocked by it. But I think the word ballet, when you say ballet, it just feels like it's a simple task. My assumption is, my thought is that level one skills are, they just feel overwhelming to people. Would that, would that seem resonate? Absolutely. Yeah. There's there's so many layers to it. It's, yeah, especially for an adventure basics training or just getting into this field in general too. What What do you say to... Because I, I know I've got a, a bit of a like a script in my head of when I see a, a group for the first time, I say I'm doing a summer camp training, I've got them all in front of me and I want to kind of set the stage for what the next few days is going to be like. What What's your go-to set the stage? Okay, this is, I stole this from Lisa Hunt. So she's another trainer here at High Five. And it's the three workshop ideas. So I've definitely have put that into my routine. The first workshop idea is you're all here, whether it's a camp, open enrollment, training, whatever. You're here to have a shared experience um, with these folks um, and being present as, as much as you can. The second workshop idea is when we have a moment or, or when it works for us, stopping to reflect and figuring out, okay, now that we've experienced some things, how could we then tinker with them and apply them to our spaces, you know, back at work or in life? Um, and how could we adjust them to meet our needs? And then the third workshop idea is that we recognize that you're all human <laughs> and have lives outside of this training. And if that means you need to step away to meet your needs in some way, great. We're going to honor that. We can have a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of emotions that come up and we'll do our best to navigate them. If you are looking for a new, versatile, low activity that you can fit into a classroom space or any indoor location, then I highly recommend you checking out The Cube. Now, The Cube is our spin on the classic spider's web activity, but is designed with more purpose and portability. So what's really awesome about The Cube is the ability to be able to give it to your participants, have them construct the main shape of it, have them also construct the challenge for themselves. And there are a number of variety of activities. We have written up 18 of them. So I'm going to put a link in the description of this episode where you can find out more about The Cube. And please reach out if you have any questions. You can do so by finding me on Instagram at Vertical Playpen or by emailing podcast at highfiveadventure.org. That's podcast at highfiveadventure.org. Thanks for checking out The Cube, and let's get back into the episode. The Road to High Five is original to the start of this whole podcast. And in that, I asked the same question to every single person. So I'm going to bring back the same question. Would you rather fight a hundred horses that are the size of a duck or one duck that is the size of a horse? Yeah, the one duck the size of a horse. Mm -hmm. And your reason? 
in my mind, it's just really cute. And we, we just become best friends like Clifford the Red Dog. My competitive side, I mean, yeah, I could fight if I had to, but I would try to find some common ground. <laughs> I am like struggling to picture Hannah Bailey fighting. <laughs> I, I can definitely see the alternative making a friend. Yeah. When you say the when you say it's cute, what about it is cute? The eyes and <laughs> and I don't know the feathers. Like, can you just imagine like big fluffy, That's huge feathers in the huge. feet? Like just adorable web feet. Yeah. Even though they're massive. Mm-hmm. I know that's that's weird, but in little cute little. It's tush. It's cute. It's tush. Can I say butt? It's cute. Butt tush. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's just what, that's, the waddle. That's I mean, the name of this episode. That's amazing. A big waddle. Okay. Well, the name of this episode will be Duck Tush. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's an alignment with yeah. me. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for talking to me, Hannah B. Ailey. It's nice talking to you, Phil. Brown. <laughs> B. Brown. There we go. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Do you have a dad joke for us? And I know that you just read a Laffy Taffy, but you don't have to use as terrible as a Laffy Taffy. But do you have a dad joke I can throw in at the end? Okay. My favorite joke I also stole from my dear friend Caitlin Ward. I love fish jokes. I don't know why. I just find them funny. Yep. What did the fish say when it hit a wall? I don't know. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good fish joke. Yeah. That's a great fish joke.